Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Age is honestly a state of mind, you know? I mean, you're only as old as, as you believe yourself to be. To do what you really want is just so exciting. Sometimes your purpose takes time and there is a long, it is a long journey for you. Xander Sprague is an internationally acclaimed public speaker Amazon best-selling author, and licensed professional clinical counselor. His mission is to help millions of people make the epic choices that create an epic life. Originally from Sherburne, Massachusetts, he now resides in Clayton, California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's the author of three books and also recognized as a leading authority on sibling loss. Hello, Xander Sprague, and welcome to the People of Purpose podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. Super excited to break down your story and just be a part of your enthusiastic nature. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Beautiful. Well, I got to do plenty of research on you, and I have to say you're a pretty multifaceted guy. You have a, a wider range of backgrounds. And what I really enjoyed you know, reflecting on was how you've become this leading authority on sibling loss. That's such a specific niche to focus in on. I love to have guests that bring something really fresh that's original, that's something that we haven't really thought about or experienced before because New learning is just so awesome. Yeah, so thanks for making it on the show today. Always a pleasure to to be here and, you know, help people understand, you know, how they can be epic. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I wanted to get started with just kind of understanding your background and your story. First off, I'm just really curious. You gave me this, uh, you prepared this guest info sheet and you said you're nicknamed the God of Enthusiasm. Can you tell me about the genesis of that nickname? Well, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that was uh, sort of given to me um, by uh, a few years ago by someone I was doing work with, Aurora Winter, who just said that when I get on mic, I'm just, I, I light up and it's like, I'm in, I'm in my element. And, and it's true. I, I, I love being able to, to talk and, present to people and share information. And I got really, really excited about it. And, you know, I guess that energy is contagious. There are lots of people when I present who are like, oh my God, I, I'm, that's great. I, I love what you're saying. I totally relate to it. And, you know, I think when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, you can't help but be enthusiastic about it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just a totally side story here, but it is interesting. The first job I had out of college, I worked at the front desk of a hotel in San Francisco, and we had National League baseball teams. This is back last century. I'm, I'm kind of old, but anyway. Um, and so I got to meet all of these professional baseball players, and I'd see them a couple of times a, a year, and I worked there for a couple of years. So I got to sort of know some of them. You know, I'd just have little brief conversations 
But my point was when I asked them, what is it like to be a professional baseball player? Honestly, they all were like, I can't believe I get paid. I would pay to play, but I am getting paid to play this game that I love so much. And to be able to do that is truly a gift. And so I, I look at that and go, yeah, it's true. To do what you really want is just so exciting. For sure. I love to hear that. Yeah. Like when, you, when your career and your passions and your purpose are all lining up, you just feel so alive with, you know, budding energy and enthusiasm. It's, it's awesome to see that. Like you're not old. You said that you're old. You don't, you seem like really youthful in your energy. It's oh, awesome yeah, to no, see I, that. I mean, I, I'm not old, but I just, I, I have to keep in mind that, you know, what the chronological age is versus how I actually see myself are sometimes yeah. vastly different. But I think yeah. age is honestly a, a state of mind. You know, yeah. I mean, you're only as old as as you believe yourself to be. So, yeah. Well, you've been young for a long time, so it's awesome. Uh, thank to- you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe so. <laughs> cool. Well, you're a, you're a popular speaker, a trainer and a host. You've written these books. In particular, recently, you, you're talking about making epic choices that create an epic life. I'm really excited to kind of break down your story on that because I think a common thing about our listeners here at People of Purpose is um, we're looking to figure out how we can can take that next step on our journey that puts us in full alignment with our gifts, our authentic nature, what we really want to do and impact, how we want to impact the world, what makes us come alive. And you seem to obviously have been a person that's figured that out. And you've, you've done more than just figure it out for yourself. You've figured out how to help other people to follow that journey as well, taking their epic steps forward. Can you just kind of tell us about you know, your journey? Where did you start to find a sense of purpose on your journey? And how did that kind of unfold over the years? Well, you know, it, it's always interesting because when, when you look back, there's the things that happen that, that you at the time, aren't really aware of, but then when you look back, stuff sort of falls into place, that whole hindsight being 2020. But growing up, uh, I grew up in, in Massachusetts. My father was a state legislator. So I was in front of and talking with adults from like a really young age. Hmm. And when I look back, I, I actually, I, I love being in front of people. I, that, that really like energizes me. And so I think sort of from a young age, I, I, I enjoyed being able to talk to people and in front of people. And then mm. as I went through school, school I went to, we had school-wide oral presentation, kind of like within your class, you'd give an oral presentation on something like five to six minutes. Mm-hmm. And then each, then within each class, and then you sort of the top each grade, you know, one person gave a presentation to the whole, the whole school. And I always really enjoyed that. I, I, you know, I'd be really nervous before I got up, but I really enjoyed that. So I think that's part of that. And then I look back in my whole epic journey, I've been on many epic journeys, some of them continuing, some of them sort of, you know, you just go, I, I, I got to do this. And I've been very fortunate to do some really cool things. Like I thought about running a marathon and I did that. I actually have done 10 halves, four fulls and a 50 K ultra. One of those marathons was the 2014 Boston marathon, which was awesome. Now I want to be upfront with everybody and say, I did not 
qualify for that, nor would I ever be close to time qualifying for Boston. <laughs> I, I got in because my younger sister, uh, who's a massage therapist, did work for Adidas and she offhandedly said, hey, would you ever want to run the Boston Marathon? And I'm as a marathon runner, you're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, like that's like the holy grail. So I was, that was really awesome. And that nice. was such an epic experience to, to be able to run that marathon. And I grew up watching it and, and in my little mind, you know, I'm like, oh, that, that'd be fun to do someday. Never realizing how incredibly challenging it is to cover 26.2 miles. For sure. Wow, that's beautiful. What do you think it is about marathons that helps you to like tap into your sense of purpose and, and help find that joy and enthusiasm? Well, I, I think there are a couple of things. First of all, it's something that less than 1% of the world has done. So there's right. sort of that, that, that I, I'm doing something really hard, but I think it's also that, that test. I mean, for me, EPIC stands for every pilgrimage includes commitment. Hmm. And certainly running a marathon is a pilgrimage. It is, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that can happen over the time that you're covering that distance. And I, I think being able to do that and then understanding that, you know, we, we there's that saying that, you know, uh, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. But I think that's actually, there's a lot there for people and for your purpose. Sometimes your purpose takes time and there is a long, it is a long journey for you. And you have to realize that there are the days where it's easy and the days where it's hard, but you still keep moving forward because you want to achieve this. That's my purpose. I, I need to do this. There's detours along the way. There's, you know, if we want to use the marathon analogy, there are the miles that are really, really hard. Right. And then there are the miles that just fly by. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I, I love that acronym too. Every, pil every pilgrimage includes commitment. Of course. Is commitment something you feel like you've always kind of understood and gotten, or is that a talent or, that you needed to develop? I think it depends on the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, because I think, there are days where you're really in the zone and it's all working. And there are the other days where you just really have to work hard to get done the task that you have to do. Cause you're like, I'm just not feeling motivated to, right. you know, Oh my God, I've got a, a, today I got to send out 25 emails to different companies or whatever. You're like, I'm just not feeling that, but you got to mm -hmm. kind of get it done. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So I guess, yeah, can you, can you fast forward to kind of the, the process of writing your first book? Was your first book the one about for four parents about losing a sibling? Actually, no, my first book was called Making Lemonade, Choosing a Positive Pathway After Losing Your Sibling, which came right. out, okay. originally came out in 2008, then the second edition came out in 2013. And I, I'm a talker, not a typer. So the fact that I now have three books is... Uh, it blows my mind, honestly, because I, I just like, oh, oh my gosh, I can't, I, I can't believe that I authored books. If you told me when I was in, you know, 18 that I was going to write books, I'd be like, are, are you like, are you kidding? I hate writing. And I do. I really don't like writing. But what I did was 
I found the way that I, that I write books, which is to dictate Mm -hmm. so that I then have something to work with. And the whole idea for that book came from a comment uh, a friend of mine made from college. Her, Her brother had passed away and I was seeing her probably about six weeks after we're having a cup of coffee. And she said, you know, I said, well, how are you? She goes, you know, I just came from the bookstore and there were lots of books on loss of a parent, loss of a child, loss of a pet. But, you know, there was really nothing about loss of a sibling. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And as I was walking away from that, I, I thought, well, I know that. I know that really well. I could write a book about that. So I did. That's, that's all it took to motivate you to write that book? Yeah. Like just that idea of, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I thought, oh, I should write a book, but I'm like, what do I know? You know, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not like some, you know, 30-year-old CEO of some Fortune 100 company. I mean, I'm, I was none of those. So I'm like, what, what do I have to say that the world cares about? Well, it turns out I knew sibling loss. And I looked at my own experience and said, that was, it's not a fun experience. Obviously, losing someone's not fun, but but more importantly, uh, one of the big things was no one asked how I was. Everyone asked how my parents were, but they didn't ask how I was. And uh, that is a common theme for sibling survivors, yeah. people who, who have lost a sibling. And um, I think that it has uh, an incredibly devastating effect on on people when your grief is not acknowledged. And, you know, the longest relationship we have in our life is with our siblings. Mm. And I think we, we all logically understand that, that we all die at some point, And there is sort of that age at which when we all hit it, you sort of say, let's say it's, I don't know, 75 or 80, you go, all right, um, now is the time of, of life where it is, and I, I, I hate to use acceptable, but I'll, I'll, I'll say understandable that, that you might lose your sibling or something You're like, yeah, we're, we're all getting older. That's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. doesn't make it easier, but you're sort of like, okay, that's when that's going to happen. But when you're younger, unless, unless there's some pre-existing condition or there's some reason that would get you to think, oh, I might lose my sibling, you're not ready for it at all. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's heavy. That's really heavy. Would you want to tell the story about your sibling loss and, and kind oh, of sure. what you went through in that process? Absolutely. Of course, I talk about it all the time. Um, so um, my older sister, Lucy, was a law student at John Marshall Law School in Chicago. And on uh, December 9th, 1996, she was murdered in her apartment. And, you know, there were many things I thought I might face in my life, but losing my sister was not one of them and certainly not murder, you know? Right. They had the man who killed my sister right away. There was never any question of who did it. And 10 days later, he hung himself in the Cook County prison. So that spared my family what would have been a very public trial. And I say that because at the time, my father was a sitting district court judge in Massachusetts. So judge's daughter gets killed by, and the man who killed my sister was 
a convicted felon, had spent eight of the prior 10 years in Joliet State Prison, had a rap sheet that was about four pages long. Wow. You know, it just sort of, it's the kind of thing that would be of inter- newsworthy and interesting to, to people. So luckily, uh, my family didn't have to go through that. My experience in that, uh, I was living in Boston at the time I grew up there. Lots of people knew, knew my parents. I'd walk around and people say, oh, my gosh, how are your parents? And I get that question. I'm not begrudging that. But no one asked how I was. Right. And I started to wonder whether my loss was less significant than my parents. And the short answer is no, it's not. It's just as significant. It's different, but it is equally significant. Of course. You know, and and a good friend of mine uh, who also speaks about sibling loss, Dr. Heidi Horsley, says, when you lose your sibling, you lose your past, your present, but also Mm. your future. There's all those things that you thought your sibling would be around graduations, marriage, you know, your children, their children, all of these life events. And then you go, they're not there. Yeah, that's heavy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it is. But I think it's I think it's really, really important. You know, here's here's an interesting statistic. In the US, there's over a million new sibling survivors every single year. Now I derive mm. that number by looking at the average number of children through the US census. And then I looked at the CDC daily death rates and and did some math and stuff, and it it comes out to over a million new sibling survivors. Now that's that's across all ages. So that doesn't, right. you know, I can't say, oh, well, 30% of that is people who were 60 plus and lost a sibling. But again, it doesn't matter. Losing your siblings, losing your sibling. Devastating. Oh, wow. That's heavy. Yeah. How, how do you feel like this, the loss of your sister played a role in your purpose journey? Like, how did that ignite a sense of purpose in you? Because I, I've done for, for, gosh, coming up on 20 years now, 25 years, I've been working hard to raise the awareness of uh, four sibling survivors to work with, with other sibling survivors. You, you referenced uh, my book, Why Don't They Cry? Um, mm. Understanding Your Living Child's Grief. That book is coming out in the beginning of 2023. Uh, that right. is a book for parents to understand. Uh, you Really, I'm, I'm explaining the sibling survivor experience to parents. And that came because I kept having parents come up and say, I lost a son or daughter, but I, I have other children and I never see them. I, I never see them cry. Right. You know, and they're not coming to me and I don't understand what's going on. And my question is, well, how old is your child? Right. And they're like, oh, you know, 15, 16, 20, 30. I'm like, yeah, we're never going to we're never going to grieve in front of you. And the short answer for that is and I have really great relationship with my parents, but I was not I saw how much pain they were in and I was not about to add to that. Now, of course, Mm. my parents were absolutely there and would help me and wanted to help me. But I was 28. I wasn't I was an adult child. I wasn't about to go, mom, dad, you know, I I really need you. But we worked through that. And we talked a lot and and were able to 
be able to feel comfortable communicating when we were having a bad day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's, that's really key is you're not alone, nor should you try and do this journey by yourself. It's really challenging. Wow. Yeah, of course. Another thing I've noticed is like this happened 20, you said 25, almost 25 years ago, and you're still writing about this. It's still really top of mind for you. Why do you think this is stuck with you as like a really core part of like your message to the world? I think because I'm able to talk about Lucy. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I think it's stuck with me because it's part of what I'm supposed to do. I, 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 you know, when I talk about Lucy, I sit there and say, I'm continuing to keep her memory alive and do good things in her name. Mm-hmm. So I've got my stuff I'm doing, but I'm a little busier because I'm doing stuff for Lucy. And I think, you know, it, it's also, I think it's so important to celebrate the rainbow that was whatever your loss might be, celebrate the rainbow that was that person's life, mm-hmm. right? Don't just focus on that dot at the end. It's not to mm-hmm. ignore it. But the fact of the matter was my sister was 30 years old when she was murdered. I got to know her for 28 of those. I can't say I remember the first couple, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much that to celebrate. And my sister was a fantastic person. And that's part of my messaging is like celebrate the rainbow that was this person's life because it's so much more rewarding. My family has done many great things in Lucy's memory. And I can tell you, it is so much more rewarding to do good things and help organizations and support organizations that are doing really cool things in Lucy's memory than just going, oh, my sister died. She, you know, she's not here. It it just, yeah, I I have those moments, but I, I like to focus on doing good things in her memory. It feels so much better to do good than it does be sad. Of course. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful answer. I love to celebrate the rainbow that was that person's life. It's a really good thing to, to latch on to. Well, let's talk about what you're doing nowadays. How would you kind of define the current you know, phase of your journey right now? The phase of my what journey, you well, on? you know, I, again, I'm still, I, I'm still doing work with my siblings, but I'm trying to get to a broader audience because I will get to my, I will absolutely still be with my siblings, but I'll get, I'll find them and get to work with them through my Epic Begins work. And, you know, the story behind Epic Begins with One Step Forward and stuff it's also interesting, I think, which is I went, I went to graduate school, got my master's in mental health counseling, had to go through 3,000 hours of internship in order to take the licensing exam. Uh, wow. I'm now a licensed professional clinical counselor, but I had to go through 3,000 hours here in California. I wow. finished my hours up in February of 2020. I was so excited. I'm going to take the exam. And all this stuff for for six years, I've been telling people, I'm going to go out and I'm going to speak and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then March 2020 hit and there was a global pandemic and you could barely leave your apartment and, (laughs) you know, like there were no conferences. There was no speaking available. There was. So all of these plans that I had, I couldn't do. 
or I couldn't be right, you know, right, right then and there. And obviously none of us had any idea. You know, we were told, oh, it might be a couple of weeks, might be a month. Here we are, what, two and a half years later and maybe we're coming out of this. I don't know. You know, I hopefully if things are opening up, you know, we have vaccinations and yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's sort of it's look, it's a flu where it's always going to sort of be there, but maybe it will be less bad and, and, and all of that. But as, as I was sitting in my apartment trying to figure out what do I do now, I kind of had this epiphany that Epic begins with one step forward. And there are all of these unbelievable things that I've done and each one of them began because I wanted I thought about something I wanted to do. And, and then I said, well, how do I do that? How do I run? I can tell you when I first started running and I thought about running a marathon, I thought, I have no idea how I'll ever run 26.2 <laughs> miles. Oh, right. my God. Like that just seemed unbelievably overwhelming and daunting, right? For sure. What I did is I joined Team in Training, which is the fundraising arm of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And in exchange for raising some money for them, they taught me how to run a marathon. And I rediscovered something in doing that, which is I love structure. Structure makes my life so much easier. They handed me a training schedule and it said, go out and run 30 minutes today. All right, I can do that. I didn't have to worry about how I was going to run 26.2 miles. It was all laid out for me. I just had to follow what I needed to do each day. And then I, and then I was able to, to, to cover the distance mm-hmm. that is a marathon. And, and I think for all of us, structure is, I think we as adults, we, we forget about structure. But if you think about your educational career, there was structure in your day. And there's oh, yeah. actually comfort there. Think back to high school, okay? When you were in high school, were you particularly stressed about how, after the first week of school, were you stressed about how to get to your second period class from your first period class? Why? Because you knew where, you knew what you needed to, you know, where you needed to be, when you needed to be there, and how to get there, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you might be walking to your second period class and be stressed because you have a quiz or... You're not quite done the homework, but that's different. I'm talking about the actual, like, how do I get from point A to point B? Yeah. So we grew up with lots and lots of structure. And there was a certain comfort because you just sort of like, I know where I got to be. We get out in the work world and some of our jobs are really structured. But if you're an entrepreneur, there's no structure for you. And Mm -hmm. Um, you and I were talking, you're like, oh my God, it's kind of a crazy morning. There's all these different things. But if you create structure and say, okay, here's my day, here's what I need to achieve. And from nine to 10, I'm doing my emails and my phone calls, and then I'm doing a podcast. And then I, and then I need to work on my book. I'm going to take 45 minutes of work on my book. Your day actually gets a lot more manageable because you know what you need to do and when you're going to work on it mm-hmm. relatively. And you actually get a lot done. Mm-hmm. And so as I thought about this whole, this idea of Epic and that, that it all begins with one step forward, it's true. 
all of these things I've done started with literally a step forward. I took a step to learn how to run a marathon or um, how to write a book, right? How do you start? Well, you, you, you start off with writing some words or in my case, dictating some words. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, and then you go, oh, well, that wasn't too hard. Let me do the next step. But along whatever your epic journey is, and I'm not here to tell people what their epic is, right? Your epic is your epic. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about your epic in just a minute, Tenor. But, yeah. you know, the, it is, for some people, it's writing a book or going to school or traveling someplace. And it's these, I really want to do this, but then we don't do anything about it. I'm like, I want people to be out there doing more, right? Yes. Amen, man. Go yeah, go sure. after what you want. Create the structure to figure out how you want to get there. Let's say you're like, I've always wanted to travel to Australia. Well, there's some really easy first steps. All right. Well, how do you get to Australia? Best way is probably on an airplane. Okay. How much does that cost? Where where would I like to go? And you could start to plan that out. And then you go, okay, I've got my, I understand relatively the cost the how mm-hmm. I'm getting there, where I want to go. Now let me figure out how I'm going to save the money to do that. Yeah. Let me do more, more research on where I may want to travel. Maybe you reach out through, cause you know, we're so connected now with social media. Maybe there's someone that you, you met on, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you know, TikTok, whatever, like all of a sudden and you reach out and you go, hey, I get to visit this person. That's really cool. And they'll show me around. You know, it's just, and then you go on the trip and you're like, oh my God, that was so epic. You know? <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Xander Sprague on how epic begins with one step forward. Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Xander talking about how to turn roadblocks into scenic detours, the 97.3 rule, and much more.